Speak to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So as you may have noticed, every Sunday we march the gospel book down the center aisle to the center of the people to say this is our central story, the story of Jesus. We read an appointed passage, uh, not necessarily of our choosing, and conclude by saying the gospel of the Lord, which really means the good news of the Lord. So after hearing today's passage, I'm wondering if you're wondering if that's the good news, I'd hate to hear the bad news. <laughs> Pity the preacher. My reaction when the lectionary or the new rector serves up a passage like this would be to say something like, this passage reminds me of the passage I want to talk about this morning. Or maybe I should have just joined Miss Vicky in the park. <laughs> I thought about it. The fact is, Jesus is recorded in the Gospels. He doesn't always say or do what I think he should. It can be exasperating, as it was to his family and to disciples, making it risky uh, to wear those WWJD uh, bracelets. What would Jesus do? Part of me, I confess, wants him to be an ancient Near Eastern Mr. Rogers. And then he comes up with something as challenging as what we've heard today. And if I was his spin doctor or his handler, I would have probably said, could you just tone it down a bit? Count your blessings that I am not his spin doctor. But it does make us ask, how do we read a passage like this? A number of years ago, my wife and I we're at a fork in the road about where we would work, how we would juggle two careers, how we would juggle two young children. Um, we sought advice from the Bishop of Washington, Jane Dixon. She's a great bishop with a heart for justice, strong pastoral care for clergy. She spoke with the loveliest Mississippi accent, which made her no-nonsense steel magnolia approach all the more powerful. And she looked at us, laser-like focus, and said, you know, Jay, in moments like this in the life of faith, there's always cost and there's always promise. Cost and promise. Now, I love to focus on the promise part, uh, the promise of forgiveness and healing, grace and love. It is great stuff. People are starved for that kind of good news. I gravitate less to the cost, but again and again, Jesus makes it clear that there is cost in following him. Uh, it's been said that Jesus came to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Today's passage may be intended to address those tempted to settle into comfort, which may include a few contemporary mainline Christians. So join me in just being somewhat uncomfortable with today's reading. And let's see if it can teach us about living a life of faith in the city these days. One of the ways I've discovered to deal with scripture, and especially hard passages like this, is to apply a, a study method developed by a wonderful woman named Verna Dozier. She worked for years in the public schools in DC, and then upon retirement, uh, supported lay people in their ministries in church, especially as they tried to study the Bible. And she made up this approach 
three questions to Bible study. And it didn't require uh, somebody with a lot of seminary education. It was open to everybody. And her method involved these questions. First, what do we think the passage is saying? What's it about? Second, what did the passage mean for the people for whom it was written? Why did they save it? And then third, what does it mean to us as we read it today? I sometimes call that the so what factor. So that first question I'd answer by saying that this passage indicates that following Jesus will not be a walk in the park, as much as we love Vicki. I've been told that Jesus promised his disciples three things. They would be um, absurdly happy, absolutely fearless, and always in trouble. And that's shown in this passage. As Jesus says, if you choose to be his follower, you will meet resistance and opposition. You may get beat up. I thought of that as an unusual recruitment strategy for getting more disciples. He says, you'll be asked to take up your cross, believing, get this, believing that an instrument of death could be the way of life. It says he came to bring sword not the peace, which is exactly the opposite of what he says somewhere else. He tells disciples not to prioritize affection for family members, so much for family values. He says we find life by losing it, so there is a lot to tackle here. And maybe, I'm hoping, the next questions will help. So Verna Dozier's second question considers the historical setting of the Gospels, what did this reading say to the people who first read it? The Gospels were finalized in the later years of the first century, and the temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed, and persecution of Christians was heating up. I suspect it's hard for us to imagine the emotional wrench of the destruction of that temple. We got a glimmer of it on 9-11. The brutality that accompanied Roman attacks on Jerusalem would be fresh in the mind of those who were hearing this passage. Losing life for Christ's sake was no metaphor. At the same time, faithful followers of Jesus were breaking from the Jewish community, and sometimes that meant families were breaking up. With all that in mind, we can understand why readers of the gospel would understand that there would be a cross to bear. So what does that passage say to us? That is the third question and perhaps the most challenging. In many ways in our own culture, we have tried to domesticate Jesus, making him chaplain for whatever social or political agenda we want to promote, engaging him as spokesperson for our personal point of view. And that happens across the political spectrum. In some quarters of American Christendom, the teaching of Jesus has been conflated with some vision of family values. Today's statements about giving up family throws that into question. Where there are indeed parts of the world where Christians currently face life or death persecution, for the most part, it seems there's not a lot of cost being a Jesus follower. One preacher pointed this out by asking his congregation, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict? Persecution for Christian faith these days is mild, 
Maybe it cons consists of people thinking you're a little weird to come to this place on a Sunday morning, on a beautiful Sunday morning in June. Flannery Connor admitted the truth will set you free, but first it will make you odd. So is there cost of discipleship for us? What sense do we make of that? We know that too many of God's children, Jesus followers and others, face persecution because of race or gender, because of who they are or who they love. Thanks be to God, few of us will face the gallows like Dietrich Bonhoeffer or a sniper attack like Martin Luther King or assassination like Oscar Romero as he celebrated mass, but maybe there is a way for each to think about what it means to find our life by losing it, to find our life by losing it. Because if we sign up for the way of love, if we sign up for the Jesus movement, it's me, it means we are called to make that way of love our priority, to make it job one every day. We find our life, God's life, by losing another way of life, by putting it to death, dying to self, as St. Paul described in today's reading from Romans. We find our life by surrendering control, surrendering ourselves, as Thomas Merton said, to the creative power of the Holy Spirit. And we live in a culture that sings no retreat, no surrender. We find life by losing claim on others, losing the image of our self-importance, losing that which we believe set us above other people, education, roots, ethnicity, class, title, income, zip code. We find life by admitting that the values of our culture may not satisfy our heart. It's about giving up myths of our own history as we fail to recognize ways that we collectively have hurt other people as a church and as a nation. It's about giving up each moment of our life to mimic, to mimic the free and gracious and unconditional love of God. It's about believing perhaps against the evidence that it's all worth it to live that way. I was thinking this week of the wisdom of a man named Jim Elliott who uh, was a missionary who lost his life for the sake of the gospel in the 1950s. He said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So back to cost and promise. Today's passage has a lot to say about cost, maybe too much. At the same time, I believe there's promise here. For starters, it seems to me to be good news, if not happy news, to be told that life will be challenging. Each one of us know that. Each of our lives experience suffering and brokenness. It's no favor to skip over that point. We need not be surprised by it as individuals or as a church in a time of transition. It's a story as old as the reading from Jeremiah, and it is simply true. And good news is only good if it is true. Opposition and resistance will arise if we commit to the way of love. As John Lewis said, faithful disciples will get in good trouble. But there is more good news. Because Jesus repeats, did you catch it in this gospel? He says, do not fear. Do not fear. 
In our circumstances, Jesus tells us there's no need for fear because he promises again and again and again that we have not been left alone. So maybe in light of today's gospel, you might want to ask yourself, what would I give up to find life? For early disciples, for martyrs over the centuries, for some in our own day, it means giving up physical life. That may not be our call, again, thanks be to God. But Jesus calls us to give our lives to his way, the way of love. And that is something each of us can do, even incrementally, because we can each view each day as a chance to be a giver. We can view each relationship in our life as a chance to say, how can I help? We can view each heartbreaking incident of suffering in our world as an opportunity to be a healer, a repairer, showing that the way of the cross can be indeed a way of life. And if we can just get ourselves out of the way, if we can muster courage, it's really a combo of bravery and heart, to embrace the cost that Jesus talks about, taking Jesus at his word that he's with us and for us, we will set out on a path filled with promise, which is his way of life, which is his way of love. Amen.